0: Welcome to AHP's Off the Record. My name is Enna. And my name is Jo. And we're back after a short break, but we're actually back with another special episode celebrating a very special day.
1: We are indeed. It's AHP's day on the 14th of October, which is a day to celebrate our wonderful 14 AHP professions and what we've achieved over the past year. We don't get a chance very often to shout out about what we do. So what a chance to do so.
0: Exactly. And this year, as part of their Inspire piece, Health Education England are shining a light on support workers, international recruits and AHPs that have returned to practice. So we thought, why not do a podcast highlighting these roles specifically?
1: So we're delighted to be joined today by Sue Hilton, Lorraine Allchurch and Mohammed Abdelafid, who've kindly agreed to answer some questions for us. Do you guys mind
2: introducing yourselves? No, that's fine. Uh, my name's Sue Hilston. I'm an occupational therapist by trade I live in North Devon. I actually retired last year, but uh, I think I'm busier now than I ever have been when I was actually working. Perfect. And how about you, Lorraine?
3: Hi, everyone. Uh, I'm Lorraine Allchurch. Uh, My clinical background is an assistant therapy practitioner, and I'm now a lead AHP support worker.
4: How about you, Mohammed? Hi, everyone. Um, My name is Mohammed Abdel-Latif. I was born in Egypt and I am a senior rotational physiotherapist. I work in Yeovil District Hospital. Um, I've been here in the UK for three years now.
0: Perfect. So we're going to start with um, a question that's going to be addressed to to all of you. So let's go with you first, Sue. So do you mind having a little bit of a reflection on your career journey? Tell us a little bit about it.
2: Okay. um, I actually started my training at 18 um, in Oxford. And uh, it was quite a baptism of fire. Um, I did have a bit of a glitch, so I didn't qualify till I was 22. Um, I did start the classic way in the District General Hospitals, trying to get uh, some experience in, in various rotations. But I was definitely drawn to working in the community, and um, I really liked that opportunity of working with people in their own home, in their environment, and very much with person-centred care. Um, from there I sort of moved to a similar job but in a different area um, and then um, that was a role that was funded by health and it provided rehab in social services so that was something a little bit different. I seemed to have been drawn to, to project work actually. My next trip was returning to one of my placements as a student and that was to the Westminster Hospital and it was working for the Department of Health and Social Services as they were then. And I did a disability equipment assessment program on wheelchair cushions. So I was looking at all the different wheelchair cushions, um, analysing them and working with um, users to see what they felt of the cushions, how effective they were for using wheelchairs. So that was, that was again, very interesting. Um, then I went on to the newly devolved wheelchair services. So they were coming out of the, of the older artificial and artificial limb and appliance centre route and were devolving out to the counties. So I worked in East Berkshire and then moved across to Milton Keynes which was an incredibly dynamic service because the users were very vociferous and very clear about what their needs were and it was fantastic because it was very much person-centred, very much working with a whole range of people who felt very disenfranchised up until that point. So that was really fantastic. That also gave me the opportunity to do a lot of lecturing, teaching, um, which again, I found was really fantastic. Um, Then we moved down to the Southwest. So that was a a complete change because I went back into my community genre, working with community hospitals and community multidisciplinary teams down here in the Southwest. I was sharing that alongside a family business and and, um, with my family as well. And again, that was great because I could also dip into doing some short-term projects with um, the County Council. I did some job swaps and I also did some work with um, WizKids, the children's mobility charity. So that was really interesting. So, um, yeah, that's it really. I I settled down here about 25 years ago and uh, I haven't really wanted to go back.
0: It sounds like a, a great career with lots of lots of changes within it is there anything yeah. in particular that you say would be like a standout career moment
2: i really enjoyed doing the deep report um, i think i enjoyed the, the spin-offs from it more really working with um influencing change again i think with the way with it with the new wheelchair services coming on board and there were a lot there was a lot more openness we were working with um equipment suppliers looking at contracts uh, of their products. Um, there was lots of training going on, teaching um, clinicians how to refer to wheelchair services, how to do the baseline assessments, a lot of work that was possibly crossing boundaries with nursing, with physios, and I really enjoyed that side of the work, the educational side of it, so that was really the interesting bit and i think my first ever lecture was very much a baptism of fire again in that that was at king's college hospital and i remember walking into the room and there were these banks of people thinking these are all experts in their field i definitely Mm. am not but it was it was a defining moment for me i loved doing that side of the work so yeah i think that's probably what really um gave me the interest into my future career and you
1: said you decided um just before actually that you were going to retire was there anything in particular or, or when did you decide that it was time to retire
2: uh we sold our business in business in 2016 and and it became apparent that i wanted to spend more time um enjoying all the things we hadn't really had time to do when we got a business um because we were working in tourism so uh, you can imagine that was sort of seven days a week um 24 hours a day really at times mm. through the season and uh, I just decided you know I wanted time to do the gardening to travel which <laughs> unfortunately hasn't really happened um, and I decided to go really I think after I'd done 40 years of clinical practice so that was literally March 2020 and I retired and about three weeks later everybody went into lockdown so uh, I shared my early retirement with everybody else doing all the things that um they wanted to do and that i now had the time to do
0: i think one of the questions that we wanted to ask you sue was just about Mm -hmm. with the with the lockdown like Mm. did anything was that quite difficult retiring just at that point before the lockdown happened
2: it was certainly difficult trying to keep the relationships going with my colleagues. I found that really, really difficult because I couldn't go and join them for coffee. I couldn't pop mm. in and see what thing what was going on. Even though we were in the community, they were very much involved in trying to prevent admission to the hospitals and, um, you know, facilitate discharges. And they were all gowned up, and I didn't feel I wanted to impose on that. So that was that was quite difficult. But I think that's when I very much got. The idea of, of looking at social media because I was hearing echoes around the country of people that felt that they were were wallowing, not knowing what to do, and
0: mm.
2: I found you know some very precious friendships came out through certainly through Twitter and through social media of people that were experiencing what I was experiencing, but also people who were already in the professions and were were mm. almost looking for a a, a voice in the wilderness and I felt that doing the retired AHPs really was very much a way of supporting the whole gamut of of people within the AHP professions, right away from students through to people who were looking to retire or looking to return to the professions.
1: You were leaving the the sort of hands-on profession, you were still then being able to to carry on making a difference and and helping people through what's been a really difficult time definitely
2: that was really important to me because I couldn't be there holding hands but I could be there holding hands through the ether and that that was really precious and I'm privileged that people took that on board
0: good well we're grateful because that means that we got to speak to you so thank you for that (laughs) (laughs) okay now Lorraine do you mind talking us through a little bit of your career journey
3: yeah, how do you follow that though? <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's just Very easily. Amazing, amazing story. <laughs> well, my, mine is um, different in that I never planned to be in healthcare. I actually, when I left school, I, I had an apprenticeship and be, I was a chef. Um, and then after I had a family, decided that catering really wasn't going to be. Um, the career that i was going to continue in um, so then i uh, started my career as a Bantu auxiliary nurse really thoroughly enjoyed it and um, did an mvq level two uh while i was working at a university hospital in birmingham but knew i wanted to do more and wanted to look at different options for progression um so then sort of looked down the ahp route so then i was uh uh, fortunate enough to get a therapy assistant role. Um, took me a couple of times to to get that. I, I mean, I went for a few interviews and wasn't successful because I was very nursey focused mm. uh, in 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 sort of my early part of my career. But I persevered. And uh, I then got a therapy assistant uh, role, which I absolutely loved. I just, it was, and it was just at a time where the department had done a a dual profession. So it was occupational therapy and physiotherapy assistant. And so there was a little bit of resistance for people that were purely a physio assistant or purely an occupational therapy assistant. But for me, I didn't know any different, and it just Mm. made me look at, the patients in a completely different way a completely holistic approach and I could do everything that I needed to do for that patient in that one treatment session and um, so I really enjoyed that and then I was able to get a band for therapy assistant practitioner uh, and I think that's probably where I sort of blossomed really because then I had my own caseload of patients and I was able to um, sort of assess, treat and, uh, you know, discharge, plan and really, really enjoyed sort of um, ED and and being able to turn patients around that did not need Mm. to be in hospital. That was where I really, you know, enjoyed and, and got a buzz out of it because... You know, if the patient is, you know, deemed medically fit and does not require hospital treatment, then it's up to us to be able to do everything in our power to, you know, to get them home safely. But then you get to a point where, right? What well, am I banned for now? What am I going to do? Uh, where's my Where's my options? And I and I knew I wasn't going to go down the university route purely because I've got other commitments at home, a young family. My husband had got a business. So wanted to look for development, but the options are really quite, well, at the time, quite limited to where mm. I could sort of get progression. So I went to the Charter Society of Physiotherapy and just looked to see what options were there. And I'd say the rest is history, really, in terms of the amount of opportunities that are there for associate members. Um, I joined committees. I got on the ARC review uh, committee I then got appointed onto the annual reps conference agenda committee uh, appointed to that for four years uh, which is amazing really to be able to contribute to that as a collective I learned so much being part of a committee and each each and every person that is in that committee has got a different different background they've got different um, sort of opinions and and you're challenged to to think collectively not in your own voice. Um, The other highlights to that was that whatever I learned outside of my trust I was then able to bring back into my clinical work and in Mm. in, you know the people that I met experiences that I had um, then linked into Twitter and that again opens up a whole new whole new sort of wave of um meeting you know meeting people connecting and seeing what other opportunities are out there really so with all my connections with all the sort of things that I was doing around development of support workers and wanting to really develop I then got the opportunity to go for the lead AHP support worker um secondment which is a Band five post, secondment for uh, 12 months, uh, which I was fortunate enough to get in uh, December, and then the second wave came. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so <laughs> it, was, it was paused for a little while because um, all secondments were stopped within our trust, quite rightly, mm. um, while we all supported clinical practice. Um, and, you know, so I then started my role in about mid March. And that's been a huge learning curve. It's not, it's not, you know, it's so much to, so different to clinical practice, but equally really exciting to see um, the opportunities are there and not just for occupational therapy and physiotherapy support workers across that, all AHP services. Because what I've, you know, reaching out to people and trying to, to connect and build networks across yeah. AHPs, there's a lot of services that perhaps don't have, you know, as much sort of um connectivity that perhaps yeah. the OT and physio do. Um, the services might be a lot smaller, so they'll have less support workers within their departments. So that that's a challenge in itself really being mm. able to connect and, and and build a network. But I'm really enjoying it and I'm really enjoying the future of, you know, what it will bring.
1: Can you tell us a bit more about your um about your role, sort of what it entails and what, what sort of things you're trying to do with your role?
3: Yeah. um So initially, it, I'm, I'm doing a baseline sort of scoping of, of what AHP support workers are within our trust. Find out what their training needs are. Find out existing training that they've had, it, they have in place. Um, so that can really shape what we're going to do moving forward. Um, I've got a couple of projects that I'm working on as well. Um, so I'm currently doing what's called a blended role project and um, and that is where I've scoped out some areas where I think that this role could work well in and that is in frailty, um, acute stroke and an acute medical unit, and it's where clinical support workers can have an additional therapy competency, and that's around um, mobility, uh, occupational therapy, speech and language, and dietetics are coming on board as well. So mm-hmm. we've got some training sessions and a competency pack um, that is just being signed off yesterday. So that mm-hmm. was that was a big win. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because again that's something that I've not done before um but it, it's it's really interesting work it's got really good engagement across the services that really want this for their staff um, the, the staff that have been on on the training really enjoying it they're mm-hmm. enjoying that sort of opportunity to learn how they can contribute to you know patient care and the the rehabilitation as well the other bits that I'm doing is I did first ever uh, AHP support worker study day uh, within our Trust. Um, It was a virtual event, but we were able to get um, external speakers, internal speakers and presentations. And again, the feedback from that has just been phenomenal in terms of how staff felt inspired, empowered, engaged, you know, invested in stuff that has never really been there for the unregistered workforce. And it's really nice to be able to sort of shape that and give them the opportunity. the sort of next steps for me in that is that yes, I was able to sort of do the first one, but I want more people to mm. be involved in the next one. I want them to shape what they want the content, and you know, let's let's build it together, really. So, um, and then my last project or my next project that I'll be working on is how support workers can be involved in student placements. Yeah, um, we can support, um, you know, the the unregistered workforce supporting the new, you know, the new you know up-and-coming workforce so that's that's next steps
0: you're doing so much (laughs) (laughs) it's amazing it's amazing yeah I love it
3: I really really love it from from coming from where it really stemmed from was I suppose if I think back this all came from there's got to be more than 30 minutes in service training there's got to be more development. What What is it? And and if it wasn't there, I had to go and grab it myself. And, that, and that's not being disrespectful to the colleagues that I work with. It just never being done. So mm-hmm. it was, you know, let's go and see what there is. And it's just a bit of a snowball effect from there, really.
0: I think what it does highlight, though, is the fact that I think I've, I've definitely worked with therapy assistants have been like, what next? And I think what you're showing is. There is a lot that you can do. There's a lot more that's next, and that's reassuring. I think for a lot of people who may not know what those next steps are, so that's yeah. that's amazing.
3: Yeah, and I think the key thing is as well that if if you don't want to go down the registered route, that's fine. There's still plenty we can do. There is loads of stuff out there. It's just tapping into it, isn't it? Hundred mm.
0: percent. Thank you. So you did you followed that up pretty well, Lorraine. <laughs> Okay, Mohamed, it's your turn now. Tell us a little bit about your career journey.
4: Um, well, yeah, I, um, I studied uh, the basic science of physiotherapy in Egypt, and I was graduated in 2007. Um, I worked for a couple of years uh, in, in Egypt with pediatric rehabilitation, and then I traveled to America, uh, New York specifically, in 2012. It was a big, big change for me, a um, big challenge as well. Um, so yeah, I finished my doctorate in, in New York, uh, doctor of Physical therapy degree in two thousand and fourteen. Um, I got my license in uh, New York, Illinois, and Pennsylvania, and then I traveled to uh, the UK in <clears throat> January two thousand and nineteen. Also, it was a big, big challenge for me to uh, to come to the UK and work with NHS. Uh, the system was completely different uh, from what I knew and what I've learned uh, before. So I came as a rotational uh, physiotherapist uh, in Yorba District Hospital. I had a few rotations in rehabilitation, uh, frailty, orthopedic, uh, acute medical rehab, and finally I'm in, re- in respiratory uh, at the moment. So yeah, in 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 America actually. Um, but part of what, what I've been doing, uh, uh, or most of what I've been doing and in Egypt and America, it was rehabilitation, uh, neuro- neurology, or MSK, as as you call it in here. Um, I've done some support for my colleagues in, in America as well, uh, because I noticed we had like a when, when I first traveled, it was a small community and they had no support. So I started like a network for everyone. And at the moment, we have like a group of more than 500 people now. Uh, and any, anyone is traveling to America, they go to that group and they can ask questions about jobs, how to work, where to find a place to live, things like that. So it's very supportive uh, mm-hmm. there and willing or willing to travel. Um, I started something similar here in the UK as well to support the Egyptians, so speak. Same language, uh, share the same profession. Uh, numbers aren't the same. Uh, we're about fifteen here across the UK. Um, <laughs> so yeah, um, that's something I've, I've been doing. Um, yeah, and uh, yeah, and that's that's pretty much it.
1: And and how did you find the process of transitioning from working in in firstly Egypt and then and then America and then in the UK the, the sort of process of getting your registration? Um, I know you said that adapting to the the wave of the NHS is a bit of a um, a bit of a change.
4: Well, yeah, yeah. Well, actually, each, each step was 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 a bit challenging. So, moving to America was was my first place to travel uh, from from Egypt. So, uh, language English itself was 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 a. A challenge, culture was a challenge. Uh, okay. The paperwork to get the uh, registration, you know, there's there's a process. You start uh, from Egypt to get the documents first, and then you have to have an exam. So you have to if, if you have to study for that exam, and you have to that exam, and you have to pass to get the license, uh, which was challenging. Um, here in the UK, also I had a similar process, but I didn't have an exam. Um, it it was smooth, uh, smooth process. It wasn't it was okay um to be honest also when i first started working it was really challenging understanding the system how it works clinically its fine skills it's clinical clinic skills is fine but the system how 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 do you, how do you refer to community what are the community services uh, how how does the system work so it took some time to digest it uh with the support of um, my manager so i had mentorship um i had uh, buddies had friends to ask so that all supported uh, to understand the system and uh,
0: to... so when you came to um to the uk and were joined the nhs was there any particular reason did you specifically choose to do rotations or did you um, just want to get more experience because i know that your background seemed to be more the rehabilitation maybe msk based
4: yeah um, p- personally actually uh, any I try to I tend to change any weakness to into strength, so working in an acute facility or acute hospital with rotations with different system was a big challenge and big big change for me so I wanted to try that I wanted to build up, build up this experience so part of it was was that a new challenge and I wanted to build up experience in, in that and want, wanted to have rotations so I can under have a bit of understanding of each speciality and then decide which speciality I want to settle in and, and uh, to have as a static uh, uh, another reason was uh, to, to have my family in as well uh, to bring my family with me and to settle in for better for better education and for my for my children as well.
1: And you said that um, the, the sort of big adaptations have been getting used to the system rather than the clinical stuff. Would you say you've noticed many differences in your clinical approaches or the, the sort of the way that you were taught in, in comparison to people that you work with and in the, in the NHS who've been trained here?
4: Uh, for instance, we, when we have conversation, well, the system itself. So for, for instance, in Egypt, it's, it's mostly private. So uh, mm. you have your, 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 your private business and patient comes in pays in and then you see the patient in america it's private insurance and we have mm. the national we have also the national uh, uh health care system uh, but it's for for a certain a certain 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 amount of people here was was nhs again it's 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 different in a way of uh, the, the MDTs in the morning and the planning and discharge planning if you have medically fit patients what to do with these uh, community services facilities. These kind of processes. Uh, how how to refer and what are the criteria for for any any of these services? Uh, so to to understand this was was kind of challenging. And I had too many questions when I first came. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, a million questions. But yeah, but, but
0: you, know. you can never have too many questions. Yeah. I think that's the thing. <laughs> <laughs> And what were your main considerations? I think you've mentioned it a little bit in terms of deciding to work in the UK. So you obviously moved from the US. Was there anything in particular about the UK that kind of, as I know, sparked your interest?
4: As, as I was saying, part of it was, was for the families. So I wanted to mm. the family, and the other part, the, the other thing is, is the work itself. So uh, the, the approach, the physio approaches here is different than in, in there. Um, specifically respiratory um, I, I've learned that respiratory skills here in the UK are the best so I wanted to learn from the best and uh, actually I'm in, 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 in secondment now in respiratory and uh, mm. this is where I wanted to move, move up and move on oh is that where you want to specialise now?
0: Oh, yeah.
1: Ah, it's over to the dark side <laughs> <laughs> exploring <laughs> amazing I think we can move on to the next set of questions then. Thank you all for those summaries of your career so far. It's really interesting to hear um, where you've all been and where you've all come from and just sort of the differences in in, um, what you've done and and where you're going. So that's really awesome. Um, Our next questions are directed to um, Mohammed and Sue. um, And we wanted to find out whether your career has turned out as you expected. Um, so Mohammed, whether it's as you expected so far and Sue sort of reflecting on your career as a whole, whether you ended up where you thought you might do when you were starting out. Um, so I'll go to you first, Sue.
2: Mm, I, I didn't really have any clear clear plans of what I wanted to do. Um, it, it's been pretty organic, really. Um, I, I've picked up a skill, I've run with it. I have found an interest. I've gone off on a tangent I might have come back and picked up different elements of, of those skills and interests so um the only thing that I regretted I, I did go to New Zealand and the plan was to try and work over there for a while but that didn't happen I was fairly early on in my career and I didn't have the um experience that they would have liked from me at the time so I came back to the UK and and here I am still but uh I think that's the only thing I regret about my career. Um, I was very definitely a phys person, very definitely community. Um, The thought of going back into District General Hospital now just fills me with... I I don't think it's dread, but I I think that the pace of of working in in District General Hospitals in in acute is... um, Something for younger people. I shouldn't say that really, but I I definitely feel that it is. I think you've got to have have a different approach to things. I I like the way of developing the relationships with my community, with my colleagues, and I absolutely love. I work in you know have worked in very rural areas, and I love that side of the work that that you do become part of the community and you become very much a member of a family, which is, again, is a privilege. And I love that side of things. So, uh, and that's what I found most valuable, I think from my career. So yeah, I I think that's probably where where I'm from really. I'm a community girl, I'm a country girl really. (laughs) It
1: sounds like you've worked in in loads of different areas and have a huge amount of satisfaction from your career, which is amazing. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to ask if you could turn back time um, are there any particular areas of occupational therapy that you might just be interested to go and have a go? I don't know if there's any sort of new development since you've um, were working in the community that you never got to try out.
2: Um, I always wanted to do more stroke rehab. That was an area I was very interested in, but um, I ended up going down the route of the wheelchair equipment side of things. And, and that I think has been fantastic. Um, I would have liked perhaps to be a bit more of um, a little bit more involved in the profession as such at an earlier stage. This is a much later stage where I'm starting to look more globally at at how the profession functions. Um, So not really. I think the areas of practice I've had have, have been very fulfilling.
1: And how about you, Muhammad? Um, Do you reckon your, where you are at the moment is where you were expecting to be when you were starting out in your career?
4: Um, to be honest with you, not really, in a good way. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just as I was saying, because just because when, when I first started in Egypt and when I was graduated, most of, most of physio work in Egypt is like, I would say 90% or 80% is rehab so we we don't have the much of inpatient uh, or acute work uh, like i was saying now i, I work in respiratory acute uh, hospital and uh, that's something that uh, interests me and i uh, want to move on up so um, i love it <laughs> <laughs>
0: is there anything specifically about respiratory that you particularly love
4: <laughs> well, uh, it's not well. Well, generally, you know, in in physio, sometimes we, we we change people's lives. Uh, but in in respiratory, I can see it's not only changing; it could save people's life. Um, which which is actually because you work you work in ICU you work with you know with, with patients with respiratory problems so sometimes you could save their lives uh you can use your clinical reasoning uh, again it's uh, you know uh you can discuss and argue uh, a case and you say well this could happen and it happens and you save people lives so that's mm-hmm. what yeah that's what I can see yeah
0: Now for you, Lorraine, can you tell us a couple of, or maybe some of the maybe more common misconceptions about support workers? And also, is there any particular job roles that support workers do that people may not necessarily expect?
1: Yeah, I, th- I
3: think misconceptions, it, there's, there's, probably, there's probably a lot <laughs> that that's a, a podcast in itself. <laughs> um, but... Um, I think for me, it's certainly around uh, professional development and actually, you know, getting support workers to believe that they can do it. And there is plenty of opportunities there. We, you know, we can be part of service improvement and, you know, I think often things happen and then it's brought back to the team or it's brought back to the assistants when actually they're just as much part of that team and should be involved in that service improvement and probably have some really good ideas as well. So I think that's that's definitely an area to to, to myth bust um, that service improvement, quality improvement is is should be a whole team approach and and involve and actually, your support workers can lead on those projects as well. They're often the people that have been in the service maybe the longest. If you're thinking about rotational staff and you know sort of people that are moving up the bandings, your assistant workforce are the ones that are there the longest. They probably know the service inside out. Mm. Um, and and the other sort of myth busting as well is about supporting students. And, and when I say supporting students, the the sort of slant that I'm taking on it is it's not just to fob the student off with the support worker for half the day or it's got to be meaningful that's going to be a a three-way relationship in my eyes between the educator the student and the support worker and and make it meaningful for, for all of them really um and and empower the support worker to be able to give that give that advice back, you know, give that feedback. What have, what have they learnt from that session? Um, anytime I've worked with students, I always ask for that feedback from them as well and get that reflection of what they felt with the time that they spent with me. Um, and, and, you know, I had some really humbling humbling responses really, but it makes it, you know, that time spent valued. And I think that that's another thing that we need to value the time that perhaps students spend with support workers a little bit more.
0: I do think also it's like I know it's much it's you as support workers putting yourself out there, but it's like us as qualified HPS giving you that space to be able to do that. That space and that respect, because um, I don't know where half of us would be <laughs> without you guys. <laughs> to be honest, yeah. like our I, I, services don't function without you.
3: <laughs> I, I think that there is there is an element of the 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 educator feeling that whole sense of responsibility but they know their support workers inside out they know what they're capable of and, and support workers not going to go beyond their scope of practice so they can they can absolutely support them and and it for me anytime i've worked with a student absolutely gives that student time to breathe not to be glued to the educator and that you know they'll ask you questions that they absolutely will not ask their educator uh, and that's fine that's okay it gives them a sense of you know can i ask you this oh and they'll learn something different um and, and equally a student that perhaps might be struggling We need to give them as many opportunities to work within the MDT and work with other people, Um, because it's often seen that, oh, what if we get a student that's struggling, they can't? Well, yeah, we need to support them and give them that opportunity to to work with others and and give them a chance to to blossom in another way, really. I
1: think it's actually easy for for us as clinicians as well to not appreciate or, or forget just how much our support workers are doing in clinically, in practice, and also behind the scenes, um, I know in my team we've we've um, just had a therapy assistant leave after more than ten years in the job. Oh. And I'm sure that we're going to be calling him for months on end, saying, "How do we do this? <laughs> How do we all do Where do I find this?" It, it, he's just incredible and does such a mm-hmm. huge amount, and and I think what we really want to do is through this page is to really try and shine a light on on just how crucial you guys are to the, to the running of, of, of the NHS and all our teams and our sanity. <laughs> so I think we're going
0: to come to our final set of questions. So I'll go first. So any advice, Mohammed, for any international AHPs considering working in the UK?
4: Um, well, yeah, I would advise anyone would like to come to the UK uh, internationally to link first with someone who is uh, working, as, as I have as a, as a buddy, uh, uh, learn, ask as many questions as you want uh, to know and learn about uh, the environment and the system before uh, they come in. Um, I would also um, suggest if, the, if there's any, like, groups or community uh, to link with, uh, linking with communities uh, would support them as well uh, emotionally uh, so they can function uh, well and, and at work. Um, I would also suggest if, if they have any, like, any gaps, any skills, um, any gaps in, in their skills to try to fill it with modules before coming, um understand respiratory is one of the gaps uh with international uh, recruits um so try to learn about it what are the basics before before they come in and if they come in i would suggest also to have like uh, m- mentorship programs uh, um just just to be supported just to ask as many questions uh in a safe area um yeah
1: sounds like some really good advice nice. um coming to you next Sue. Um, So the question is any advice for any retired AHPs who are considering returning to practice but also another cheeky sort of co-question of I know your your retirement came obviously as we've discussed just around the same time as the pandemic so we wanted to ask whether it did cross your mind to go back into the field as well.
2: Oh right okay. Um, For Other people coming back into the profession, I'd definitely say, look at the skills that you've developed outside of work, because they are your transferable skills. They are the ones that you are going to be taking into an employer and saying, this is what I can give to your service. This is what I can give to you, to your client group. And that's the important thing, because it is something for you, but it's also something for the organisation you're going to work in. And I'd say things like using FutureLearn and MOOCs are really great, massive online collaborations are really good at adding to your CPD and uh, enhancing your skills as a returner. Um, I perhaps would say again, going into an acute sector might not be a good thing, um, but it's a personal choice. But I'd be looking at things like role emerging opportunities, working with charities in education, With tertiary services such as housing, all those things where you really are going to add value, where you have skills that perhaps haven't been considered as being appropriate by that organisation. You know, go out and sell yourself because you really will add value Um, and add value to your own practice as well. Things that perhaps you can take on beyond if you if you go back into work, but then choose to come back out into private practice, for example, you know, motivation, interviewing, health literacy, all those sorts of things, I think, are, are things that quite, that chime quite readily with me as being skills that I could use in a variety of platforms. Um, and remember that your legacy, your skills really bring insight, you bring experience and you're bringing knowledge to your area of practice. And I think that's so vital. Don't think I have nothing to give. Think, mm. what can I give, you know, and what I have to give is so important because I'm also there you know as with our support workers to support the future generation to support younger clinicians with my experience and my skills my life skills and my clinical skills so I think that's one thing I would say as for me going back I certainly don't think I could go back to -to face-to-face client work um I've moved on I think um if I did it would be short term, it would be project work, it would be where I could dip in, step back and it would keep my interest going. I, I don't want to get into the mundanity of the 9 to 5 routine again really. Um, I'm enjoying what I'm doing too much um, hmm. and I'm actually just going to do um, a project with the, district, the County Council and Plymouth of Uni um, in doing a role-emerging placement and I'm having two students on and I'm offering one arm supervision so that's coming up and I'm quite I'm quite proud of the fact that I've been asked to do it because the person that's asked me has never met me but through Twitter (laughs) we've had conversations um, and uh, much like uh, Carrie Biddle who uh, has I think introduced us all you know Again, I value those connections and I'm, I'm you know, pleased to be able to bring my skills back into the profession and to support, you know, returners and to support people who are entering into the profession. So that's really good. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So. I'm also doing volunteering. I'm also supporting family. And I am gardening and I'm hoping to get back to do my garden, to travel again. But, <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, I, I don't want to go back to work, but I'm quite happy doing what I'm doing. Thank you. Good.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and then just lastly, it's you, Lorraine. So any advice for anybody who is considering becoming a, an H.P. support worker?
3: Do
1: it. <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I would say that, definitely engage with your professional body that has definitely opened up a huge amount of opportunities for networks cpd um mentoring coaching any of those things will will definitely um springboard you in, in in your sort of early early years or any part of your career really um but I think those things I didn't really think about early on and if I'd have known about them it certainly would have helped me in those moments where I was thinking oh what's next what's for me sort of thing so I would definitely say engage with as many networks and and your professional body as quickly as you can really.
1: I think that's all from us really so thank you guys so much for joining us it's been really amazing talking to all and hearing more about you And such a great opportunity to bring it all together um, and line up with with plans for AHP's day. So thank you so much. Thank Thank
3: you. Thank you.
0: Thank you so much for listening to our AHPs Day special. Can't wait to see what everyone is sharing and what they're doing to celebrate the big day on the 14th of October 2021. Um, Make sure you use the hashtag Day all over your social media platforms. And we'll be back with some even more exciting podcasts in the next coming months.
4: Bye.